The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning to you and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. The S&P closes at a record high as the rebound continues from an Omicron-induced sell-off and ahead of what's expected to be thin trade in a reduced festive session here in Europe. A major UK study says Omicron is up to 70% less likely to send you to hospital. But the health secretary says it's too soon to know the next steps as COVID cases hit record levels. The U.S. and Russia will hold talks over Ukraine within weeks amid what Moscow claims are existential threats from NATO. And Peter Parker saves the day for Hollywood as Spider-Man No Way Home crosses $800 million at the global box office while Dwayne The Rock Johnson tells CNBC the pandemic has changed things. What COVID has done is really accelerated uh, any process um, and it certainly has done that in Hollywood. Man, it's an exciting time. A very warm welcome to the program, everybody, and a Merry Christmas Eve morning. Uh, festive session underway. Um, it will be underway shortly here in Europe. Let's take a look at how U.S. markets closed up shop yesterday. Uh, we've got uh, all three major indices closing in positive territory, so uh, an overall strong session. It was a three-day win streak for the S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq, with the S&P 500 closing up about six-tenths of a percent to a fresh record high. Um, and to give you a little bit of color on where things stand for the week, the Dow is up about 1.6%, the S&P about 2.3%, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq up about 3%. So it has been a strong week overall. Um, turning to currency markets, let's take a look at some of the big, some of the majors. Yesterday, the dollar index essentially held steady. Um, for context, though, the dollar index for the year up nearly 7%. Uh, so in the latest trade, we've got sterling trading a little bit on the back foot versus the greenback, just under the 134 mark. The euro uh, holding steady versus the dollar, 113.30, and uh, no change for the dollar yen. Um, Asian markets, let's take a look at the overnight session. Um, it's been some mixed trade in Asia. The Shanghai Composite down about seven-tenths of a percent. Yesterday, we had a strong session across the Asian, Asian region uh, following Wall Street higher in the previous day. The Kospi over in Korea up about half a percent, and the Nikkei 225 not much change there. Um, and as for the European close yesterday, it was a strong session in Europe as well. The stock 600 gaining about 1%, its third positive day in a row. So very similar tre- trend to what we saw stateside for the week coming into today's session. Stock 600 is up about 1.9%. So here's a look at the individual regions, uh, what we saw yesterday. And in terms of what to expect today, here's a look at FTSE and CAC futures and what is expected to be a thin day of trade as everybody gets ready for the holidays. CAC 40 futures indicate a modestly negative start to the trading session, similar for the FTSE, um, but no major indica- no major moves indicated. Um, let's bring in our first guest this morning, Dan Lakai, Chief Economist from Trust's Guest Gen. Um, uh, Dan, uh, wonderful to speak with you this morning. I'm sure the Squawk Box team is missing you. I know you're, you're a friend of the program. Um, Dan, just lay out for us from a macro perspective how you're thinking about growth and inflation for 2022. 
Good morning. Uh, thank you very much. I think that what we're going to see in 2022 is, is a year of hangover. We've had a tremendous fiscal and monetary stimulus in 2021. And in 2022, that is likely to subside. Therefore, what I believe is uh, quite logical is that we will see a lot lower growth. I think that uh, global growth estimates need to be trimmed uh, a little bit, particularly in the Eurozone and in Latin America, and uh, inflation and inflationary per, uh, pressures will remain persistent. And that, I think, is something that uh, is, is becoming more uh, a view that consensus is also sharing because the supply chain bottlenecks are an issue. But to me, the biggest issue is monetary policy. Monetary policy is going to continue to be extremely dovish and very very accommodative. Mm. Interesting you say that monetary policy is going to remain fairly dovish given that we had the Bank of England come out surprising markets with their first rate hike last week. The Federal Reserve laying out the path for more aggressive tapering than previously anticipated. Um, are you suggesting that the central banks, the likes of the BOE and the Federal Reserve aren't going to be able to deliver on the more hawkish paths that they've laid out? I believe that uh, the path of rate hikes that has been outlined is very difficult to be implemented. I think that uh, the Federal Reserve is likely to uh, hike rates uh, a, a couple of times less than what has been announced and definitely below the dot plot. But because of the slowing of uh, economic growth that is inevitable with this, uh, uh, after such a massive stimulus in 2020 and 2021, therefore, uh, in any case, it is true that central banks are going to be hiking rates and reducing repurchases, but those repurchases are going to continue to be a very significant proportion of the net issuance of government uh, bond sales. Therefore, what we are likely to see is that financial repression, that means that interest rates will remain below inflation and that repurchases will remain ample despite uh, small tapering. So it's going to continue to be uh, accommodative and it's going to continue to be very much in support of uh, trying to help markets uh, adjust to a different situation in the middle of a slowdown. So it's going to be a challenge to see the rate hikes that have been announced. You know, Dan, the Federal Reserve in its latest financial stability report flagged the risk of asset bubbles forming. Yet, you know, if they end up on the path that you just described, where they're actually um, continuing to be accommodative in 2022, uh, are they, you know, risking uh, another bubble bursting like we've seen in the past? Or are they being complacent in your view if they do remain more accommodative than uh, many are expecting? It is a great question because central banks are caught between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, they're aware of elevated valuations, the risk of bubbles, and the problem of sovereign bond yields being extremely low compared to where they should be if we look at the solvency ratios and inflation. Uh, on the other hand, they understand that the levels of debt that have been accumulated 
isolated and the fragility of predominantly uh, the um, uh, developed economies is so high that if they truly taper, if they truly normalize, it's going to be a challenge. So they have to be in a position in which they will probably have to uh, accept the fact that some valuations are going to continue to be extremely elevated, fundamentally for one reason, which is that the most expensive asset right there is sovereign bonds of developed economies. Mm. Well, Dan, um, if we can do a little compare and contrast, I, I think it would be interesting to look at what the ECB is doing and their messaging, because unlike the BOE and the Fed, they have made no um, qualms about it. They are going to remain accommodative in 2022. Madame Lagarde saying that uh, essentially it is extremely unlikely that they're going to raise rates at all next year. Do you think the ECB is making a policy mistake by not um, leaning more hawkish at this stage? Or are they going to um, come out of this on the right side of history, given, as you outlined in your first um, response, that you think that uh, European uh, Union uh, growth rates are going to actually have to come down next year? I think that the ECB is making a mistake because the challenges of economic growth of the Eurozone have nothing to do with liquidity. And by maintaining very aggressive repurchases and maintaining a position in which the ECB, in effect, is, is, is more than 100% of the net issuances of sovereign uh, borrowers, the, the big problem is that they are actually getting uh, the economy in a stagnation process because there is uh, an incentive for governments to continue to be imprudent in fiscal policy and there is an incentive to continue to increase debt but the economy doesn't strengthen and the reason why the economy doesn't strengthen is because it's nothing to do with the ecb's policy it's not about monetary policy it's about fiscal policy so the the problem that the ecb faces is that it is doing pretty much what it did between 2009 and 2011, which is to be way too dovish in an environment in which the economic problems of the Eurozone have nothing to do with liquidity or with monetary policy and everything to do with fiscal policy. So what does this all mean then from a market perspective in your view? I mean, if you are watching the show as an investor, um, how do you play the, the 2022 year? I think that uh, 2022 is going to be uh, pretty similar to 2019. And uh, you have to look from that perspective to the US. You have to uh, pay attention to uh, the positives that come from US equities. I believe that US equities will outperform uh, European equities and Latin American equities. Uh, Asia is also a preferred area for us. We believe also that the dollar will continue to strengthen because the shortage of dollars that existed in the global economy has actually increased in 2021. And we see tremendous uh, pressures on many emerging market currencies. So I think that United States equities and uh, the dollar 
as well as developed economies relative to emerging ones will likely be uh, the scenario in which I would recommend to invest. So being relatively prudent about the cycle, but at the same time relatively uh, bullish about an outcome of uh, that will definitely help investors that are looking for uh, attractive opportunities in equities. So don't look for the losers of 2021 to invest. Look for the winners because uh, the I believe that growth will continue to outperform value. That's um, that's interesting because we have seen this re resurgence recently in value cyclical trades um, over the last month or so. But for the year, obviously, growth stocks have uh, been the big outperformers. Um, so you know, you, your take is interesting. Don't look at the ones that have underperformed necessarily in 2021, but just look forward. Yes, because many times when we hear about value stocks, and obviously there are opportunity in value stocks, uh, uh, but not as a as a theme in general. Why? Because the cycle is turning. So uh, you need to bet on a cycle strengthening and on an economic growth and inflation rising much faster in order to continue to play the most cyclical uh, the most cyclical stocks that are embedded in the value segment. Uh, but at the same time, many of these so-called value stocks, particularly in Europe, are not actually value. They're just value traps, which means that they trade at optically low multiples. But in reality, they are very expensive because they're not generating growth. They're not generating returns above their cost of capital. And uh, there's there's one important risk for the markets for 2022 is that in general, if we look at the estimates of earnings growth for the uh, stock 600, also for the S&P 500, but at least the S&P 500 has uh, a tremendous level of buybacks, uh, the, the earnings downgrades are going to be significant. So you have to be prudent precisely with those stocks that require not just a boost in the economy, but a boost in the economy in earnings, in margins and inflation. Dan, um, thank you for waking up and joining us on Christmas Eve. It's great to speak with you. I'm Dan Lakai, Chief Economist, Trust Gestion. Now on to Omicron and the latest news. Some encouraging developments on the virus front. People catching Omicron are up to 70% less likely to need hospital care compared to previous variants. That's according to a new report from the UK government. It comes on the heels of similar data out of South Africa, Denmark, England and Scotland, which all pointed to reduced severity. The UK health secretary says the early findings are encouraging, but that it's still too early to determine the next steps. Almost 17,000 new cases of the Omicron variant have been detected in the UK in the past 24 hours, bringing the total daily COVID figure to almost 120,000, the highest since the start of the pandemic. More than 600,000 people will be forced to self-isolate on Christmas Day. The Italian government has banned all public New Year's Eve celebrations and ordered the closure of nightclubs until the 31st of January as part of fresh COVID restrictions announced on Thursday. Health Minister Roberto Speranza said face coverings would be compulsory outdoors once again and ordered people to use more protective face masks on public transport and in public places such as theaters, cinemas and at sporting events. 
Meanwhile, France has had its worst ever day for new COVID-19 infections on Thursday. The country reported over 90,000 cases, while the number of deaths also climbed. France is battling a fifth wave of the coronavirus, but President Emmanuel Macron is hoping vaccine boosters will help the country avoid tougher restrictions. The White House is defending its plan to provide home COVID tests to anybody who wants one while admitting there aren't enough tests to go around. This as the FDA greenlights yet another option to help fight COVID. NBC's Chris Pallone has the latest from Capitol Hill. There will soon be two drugs on the market to help people fight COVID-19 at home. Pfizer's antiviral pill approved yesterday and now a new medication from Merck, FDA approved today for adults at risk for severe disease. In clinical trials, the Merck pill was just 30% effective in reducing hospitalizations and deaths in high-risk patients, compared with 89% for Pfizer. But both pills might be hard to find in the early going. These are going to be available only in small quantities to high risk individuals. As people scramble to get tested. People are getting positive tests everywhere just to confirm because Christmas is around the corner and we want to be with family. Some cities and states are giving out as many tests as they can. I wish it were more, but we'll take what we can get at this point. The White House promises to provide 500 million at-home tests on demand to people starting next month. We've taken a number of rapid steps as soon as we knew that this was a variant, even before it hit the United States. The president acknowledged the issue while urging people to keep things in perspective. No, nothing's been good enough. But look, look where we are. When last Christmas we were in a situation where we had significantly fewer vaccinated people vaccinated. The outbreak reaching the highest levels of the government. After President Biden came in close contact with someone who developed COVID, so did Vice President Kamala Harris. And now seven Pentagon employees have tested positive, along with lawmakers like South Carolina Representative Jim Clyburn and Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. Health officials in the United Kingdom say that early data show that people with the Omicron variant there are much less likely to be hospitalized than people who had Delta giving hope that infections here will be less severe as well. In Washington, Chris Pallone, NBC News. Coming up on the show, the U.S. and Russia agree to talks as Putin hits out on Ukraine for calling, calling for immediate guarantees. The latest details just ahead. And let's take a look at European natural gas prices. The Dutch gas prices are a proxy for European gas prices. We're down uh, nearly 11% this morning, but obviously for the year, it's been an incredible run, up nearly 500%. We'll be right back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to the program. U.S. President Joe Biden signed a bill into law on Thursday banning imports from China's Shenzhen region, citing concerns over forced labor. The legislation drew anger from Beijing, which said the act ignores the truth and maliciously slanders the region. Washington has previously labeled China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslim minority a genocide. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin says Russia and the U.S. will meet in January to discuss Ukraine. Putin says the discussions to be held in Geneva are key to preventing what he says are existential threats from NATO. Russia has asked the alliance not to admit new members from the former Soviet bloc, which has met resistance from the West. The Russian leader says the Kremlin has been deceived in the past. Not one inch to the east is what we were told in the 1990s. And what happened? We were duped. We were brazenly duped. There were five waves of NATO expansion. And now these missile systems are appearing in Poland and Romania. That's what we're talking about. You have to understand it's not us who are threatening. We didn't come to the borders of the US or the UK. You came to us. And now you're telling us that Ukraine will also be in NATO. Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi and French President Emmanuel Macron insist the EU's fiscal rules must be reformed. In an FT opinion piece, the two leaders argue the bloc's fiscal rules should favor debt raised to finance key investments, saying this sort of spending actually contributes to debt sustainability over time. The two leaders say the 800 billion euro next-gen EU recovery fund could serve as a blueprint for future projects. British luxury chain Selfridges is being sold in a deal reportedly worth more than $5 billion. Thailand's Central Group and Austrian real estate company Signa Group confirmed they had struck a deal but didn't release full details. The firms will take over 18 stores and build a luxury hotel alongside Selfridges' Oxford Street flagship store. That's according to Reuters. Something to look out for potentially in the new year for Londoners. Spider-Man No Way Home has crossed $800 million at the global box office. That makes the superhero movie officially this year's number one holiday release. Actor and entrepreneur and uh, CNBC producer fan favorite Dwayne The Rock Johnson spoke to our U.S. colleagues overnight about COVID's impact on the entertainment industry. What COVID has done is really accelerated uh, any process, um, and it certainly has done that in Hollywood. Man, it's an exciting time uh, to be, I think, for us in Hollywood because consumers still want to consume the content. So now what we get to, we get to have that privilege of creating it and streaming. Now, Red Notice was our very first movie uh, made directly for streamer and Netflix for Seven Bucks Productions. Uh, we, we got lucky, we worked hard, and we've raised the a bar and we've changed the paradigm and we've had some great record-breaking success. But I will also say it's been a year of uh, of learnings um, and some success too as well uh, in the world of streaming for us as a company with Seven Bucks, our great Disney partners. We launched Jungle Cruise um, at the same time, theatrically as well as uh, on streaming. We found success in both. So the models, there's multiple models here I think that work. And we proved that with Jungle Cruise, with Disney, we've already made the announcement that we're gonna come back for a sequel. We've certainly proven that with Netflix. So now I believe we listen, learn, and strategize and move forward and kick ass, as you and I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Julia here. Now, it's so interesting covering the media industry and hearing so much about how there are so few stars like you who can launch a massive franchise or extend the life of a franchise. I mean, I believe you have 283 million followers on Instagram. And I'm curious if you think, as you look back at your ability to really extend the life of these franchises, whether it's Fast or Jumanji, um, do you think that we're going to be entering a new phase where there are real franchises um, on, in the streaming world, which is something that we haven't really seen yet? It's a great question, Julia. It's a smart question. And I do believe that. And again, I think um, it, we are in a position where 
as we're listening, as we're learning, um, and as we are running our own analysis and evaluations and all that fun stuff, um, at the end of the day, uh, it all comes down to the creation. And we are trying to do exactly what you just said with Red Notice. We're trying to build out a universe and build out a franchise. But I believe you are going to find that. And from what I can, uh, from what I gather and take away from our partnerships with these streamers, my next, our next Seven Bucks movie will be with Amazon. It's called Red One. So, Julie, our goal with Red One is to build out a franchise, too, as well, that was born and bred out of Amazon. Um, and the same thing applies for a lot of the other businesses we're doing with streaming. So I do believe you're going to find um, franchises that are created and born and bred out of streamers, uh, but also the traditional way, too, as well, that are born out of the theatrical experience. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.